Welcome to the Reverend Sarah Shears podcast. Today we start a new series on the five marks of mission. The theme is tale or sharing the good news of the kingdom. With help from Peter, remember him from last week, the epic fail guy who was loved and forgiven and trusted. We explore how the good news is for everyone. Who are our Corneliuses today, opening up the eyes of the religious prejudice to God's welcome for all? And who are our Peters who have learnt we can't stand in the way of God? I pray that you know that you are welcome in God's kingdom. So what follows next is our reading from Acts, which is brought to us by Fiona today, and then the reflection, as is given in church for Sunday the 15th of May 2022. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. Peter's report to the church at Jerusalem. The apostles and the other believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. When Peter went to Jerusalem, those who were in favour of circumcising Gentiles criticised him, saying, You were a guest in the home of uncircumcised Gentiles, and you even ate with them. So Peter gave them a complete account of what had happened from the very beginning. While I was praying in the city of Joppa, I had a vision. I saw something coming down that looked like a large sheet being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it stopped next to me. I looked closely inside and saw domesticated and wild animals, reptiles and wild birds. Then I heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Certainly not, Lord. No ritually unclean or defiled food has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke again from heaven. Do not consider anything unclean that God has declared clean. This happened three times and finally the whole thing was drawn back up into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to go with them without hesitation. These six fellow believers from Joppa accompanied me to Caesarea, and we all went into the house of Cornelius. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send someone to Joppa for a man whose full name is Simon Peter. He will speak words to you by which you and all your family will be saved. And when I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered that the Lord had said, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. It is clear that God gave those Gentiles the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I then to try to stop God? When they heard this, They stopped their criticism and praised God, saying, Then God has given to the Gentiles also the opportunity to repent and live. Amen. So, 
let me share with you something about the five marks of mission, our theme for today, and just hopefully help us to move forward as we uh, open up more after the pandemic, as we get to know each other, and as we are more able to do things both within church churches, but also out within our communities, wherever we might find ourselves. Remember, it's not just those of us who have to wear dog collars who can do the Lord's work. Indeed, it is for all of us to participate. We just have different roles. And perhaps we'll look at that over time as well. So the first mark of mission is about proclamation, or a shorthand version is tell. So not everybody likes Christian Aid Week. It's often an uncomfortable week. In fact, anyone who draws attention to the challenges in the world round about us can make us feel uncomfortable if we are comfortable in our own lives. It's kind of like talking about nits. You suddenly get that urge to, you know, scratch your head. Sorry about that. The story of Janet that we watched earlier is a tale of hardship, but also of partnership and hope about adaptation. The message is no less challenging or uncomfortable, but it doesn't have you sobbing your heart out, lost in desperation or helplessness. It's a good news story, but within it is an honesty about the hardship as well. It does call you and me to join in, to participate, and I doubt you'll be jumping on a plane to Zimbabwe anytime soon to help out Janet and her family, although anything is possible. But it's also not about keeping Janet dependent on the charity or the pity or the, the goodwill of others. It's about giving her life that she in turn is able to give to her family and community. And that's what I think is so incredibly wonderful about the Christian message as well. It's not about being subservient to the goodwill of some higher being that you somehow have to, I don't know, appease in some way. You're not being held in a dependent relationship. Indeed, it's meant to be an interdependent relationship, which is quite something when you really think about it. God is not a charitable foundation where we get additional help or top-ups when our world is too hard to bear. And nor does he operate with some kind of exclusivity. You know, people are not excluded from his kingdom, from, from his, his, his place. And that's the same with Christian aid. They don't restrict who they help based on creed, colour, religion, gender, sexuality, etc., Indeed, they partner with major agencies in helping the most marginalised have a voice. And that ties in with our story today, because it also doesn't exclude the other, much to the surprise of some. And so I come to the theme of our next few weeks with a wee break for Ascension Sunday and Pentecost, though obviously they tie in with the theme of mission. We are looking at mission through the lens of the five marks of mission. Now, if there is one word in the church that makes people uncomfortable, excluding anything to do with money, it's mission. Often what springs to mind, and I've done this in my many long years as a Christian, going round the doors, knocking on the doors and asking people, have you found Jesus? Have you thought about what happens when you die? Are you saved? I've been through all of that learning curve and 
perhaps that's a conversation for another day. And it has, yeah, its advantages and disadvantages. Perhaps it's preaching on street corners and you've heard the preachers and you've seen the sandwich boards, or it's about adding happy, clappy songs to the, to the church repertoire on a Sunday morning and some people just want to hide in their seats. But, you know, we're just trying to appeal to young people. So what is the definition of mission? Well, to be honest, the church in a very broad sense still struggles to define mission. And so the Anglican community in the 1980s came up with the five marks of mission and our version in the Church of Scotland is based on them. Church of Scotland agreed to these at the General Assembly of 2020 and said that for the church to be fit for a purpose in the 21st century, these marks had to be evidenced at local, uh, regional and national levels. So for us in the church, we're talking about local congregations, presbytery, uh, the national offices, the General Assembly. There was an outcry when originally they tried to focus only on three of them, but all of them are deemed essential for mission. I have put them on the Facebook header and they'll appear on the church website as well, and you can Google them and, and find them easy enough. But for the Church of Scotland, this is what they are. Firstly, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Secondly, to teach, baptise and nurture new believers. Thirdly, to respond to human need by loving service. Fourthly, to seek to transform unjust structures of society, to challenge violence of every kind and pursue peace and reconciliation. And five, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore these five marks of mission and what they might mean for us as individuals, as churches, just yes, like that. And the shorthand version is tell, teach, tend, transform, treasure. Tell, teach, tend, transform and treasure. As you can see, the mission of the church, which is actually first and foremost the mission or purpose of God, is multifaceted. And after the summer, we'll explore different callings and mission work because we're not all called to the same things. Like we remember from last week, it was said in passing, however, when it comes to God, to discipleship, we all make the same commitment, but we don't have the same outcome. Mission includes words that I like are proclamation, discipleship, service, justice, and stewardship. So you might not be able to stand up here, even if it is talking to yourselves in this way or in front of a, of a full church, perhaps. You might not want to be a preacher, but you might feel strongly about helping those in debt and be involved with Christians Against Poverty. You might cycle or walk rather than take the car because you want to reduce air pollution and encourage others to do the same. Part of our mission here is to develop a building that reduces its carbon footprint and is available to the community and therefore provides a warm, climate-friendly welcome. Our story with Peter today is one we could spend ages in, but what I wanted us to pick up on, for now at least, is how inclusive God is. Because if we're thinking about who we're telling our message of God to, 
we want to recognize who it's for. For us to truly embrace the mission of God, we must comprehend how all-encompassing God's love is. This is the conclusion of a story in the book of Acts where Peter has had this amazing vision and then visited with Cornelius and we pick the story back up in Jerusalem. So it's a wee retelling of what's happened in the previous couple of chapters and please, please feel free to go back and read it in full. So back in Jerusalem with Peter would be like standing in front of Presbytery or even the bar at the General Assembly and being called to account for your behaviour. In the very old days, the General Assembly would have dealt with Peter and over the years there are amazing stories of theology being debated at the General Assembly until the wee small hours. Some theologians ended up being respected more in death than in life rather like some artists. And sometimes I wonder if we miss that now at national church level because we're so busy dealing with maintenance and management, but hey-ho, that's another hobby horse. So imagine Peter before the Jerusalem council explaining how he could enter the home of and eat with Gentiles, the other. And we perhaps find that shocking, but it is true. There was always that divide between Jew and Gentile. If you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. It didn't matter where you were from. If you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. And the church has always struggled with the other. Indeed, we've always tried to normalize everybody and have them the same, whether it's everybody having to wear their Sunday best or determining appropriate behavior. Kind of like how you, when you go into a library, you feel the need to whisper because that's that's the rule of libraries. You whisper. We have our own unwritten rules of decorum and etiquette. And when somebody behaves out of turn, they know about it. Kind of like in the library where if you speak out loud, everybody turns around and goes, shh. The Jewish Christian was absolutely fine. They were circumcised and their faith in Jesus was simply an extension of their Jewish faith. After all, the Messiah was promised to them. But Peter's walk on the wild side, his mission was unexpected. So what starts as Peter in a precarious situation, at least to those hearing his tale, finishes with them agreeing with him and praising God. Perhaps if only the General Assembly worked like that. When they heard this, they stopped their criticism and praised God, saying, then God has given to the Gentiles also the opportunity to repent and live. The mission we have is to proclaim, to tell the good news of the kingdom. And this story for me highlights that this good news is for everyone and that no one has the right to determine who gets it and who doesn't. As I said many moons before, it's not God who puts up barriers, it's us. We might struggle with what God is doing, but we have to concede, as Peter did, who are we to stand in the way of God? Personally, I've always struggled with the law of the church that sets up restrictions on who can be baptised or participate at communion. And this passage today calls all of that into question for me, never mind the fact that I'm still humble enough to wonder how God welcomes me. Don't get me wrong, 
The story is clear that God was working with Peter and his fixed racial and religious prejudice and in typical Peter fashion, he messes it up again later, but again, another story for another time. And at the same time, God is preparing Cornelius. Cornelius was well respected in his community, a generous supporter of the Jewish community and very open to God. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, an apostle through Pentecost and a keen preacher. So there is a need for openness to the spirit of God within an individual. And I totally understand that when it comes to baptism and communion and the like. But what we would see as the appropriate course of action or good governance, call it what you will, doesn't happen here. And that's really a challenge for the Jerusalem Christians. Cornelius isn't at a six-week course getting the ins and outs of membership, nor is he being circumcised or, in our case, making a profession of faith. For a Gentile to be part of the Jewish community, circumcision was a must. Instead, God is doing his thing. Mission is on his terms and we are invited to participate. Oh, that we might remember that. We don't have the right to tell God what to do or who's in and who's out. For Peter and the Jewish Christians, it was a realisation that the good news of the kingdom is for everyone, including the other. And this was awesome and phenomenal. It's no wonder they end up praising God. For Cornelius, the good news of the kingdom meant that he was welcome as a Roman, not as a Roman made Jewish. He is accepted in his own right, with his own identity, and he doesn't have to squash what he was given at birth, his heritage. For us, the good news of the kingdom is the same and woe betide us if we are found guilty of excluding anyone because they don't fit our model of what a Christian should be. We might need to work through some theology and doctrine like these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. We might need to look for the Corneliuses of today who God has prepared in advance to open our eyes and our hearts, especially when we're stuck in a narrow theology or focus. And we might need to look for the Peters who are willing to stand up before you, before the General Assembly, before whoever, before the powers that be and speak up, even if it makes us uncomfortable. The vision of unclean and clean animals that Peter saw represents the Gentiles, the unclean, and the Jewish clean. And he comes to see that for God, there is no difference. They are all clean. The sheet on which they are lowered represents the church and the fact that the church will include all without any distinction. In a world where we are deeply aware of the divide between rich and poor, seen even just this week in the pomp and circumstance of the Queen's speech, never mind its content, it is good news that all are welcome and loved in God's kingdom. I've been very disturbed recently about the amount of exclusion women face in the church simply because they are women. And we need to remember that his kingdom is global. So there's no room for racism anywhere in the church, 
if God is with Janet in Zimbabwe and us in East Kilbride and you, then how on earth can any of God's people support racism or discrimination? And that's why it's good news. Not to make you a slave or a subject, but a citizen of heaven, equal with all because of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. For God so loved the world. So however you proclaim the good news of the kingdom, whether with words or welcome, with a kind word or a secret gift, acknowledging the homeless person outside Liddell's, taking in a broken person, hanging Bible verses in your public places, your generosity with colleagues who push your buttons or are struggling and they're like, how can you do this? Keep proclaiming the good news. Keep telling it in word and in action. But also keep your eyes open for the Corneliuses in our community, in our churches, in our workplaces, whom God is preparing. Remember, you might be their Peter. Now there's a thought. If you, however, are feeling a bit more like Cornelius and your heart is being prepared, but you're not quite sure what comes next, I pray that you meet an open type Peter, not the Jerusalem crew before they understood what was going on. And may we be open to changing and becoming even more welcoming in his name. Let's look around our church families, our congregations, our groups, and see who is missing. Who are we excluding, even if we don't mean to be? Who is missing and what can we do about it? The good news of the kingdom of God is that everyone's welcome to be a citizen of heaven, including you and me. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Please do subscribe. Please do send us some feedback. And I hope that you'll join us again next week for the next instalment of Five Marks of Mission. I pray that you have a very blessed week. Goodbye for now.